0: You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, church. Well, listen, let me remind you really quick. Kinsey's voice already highlighted it for you, but let me remind you this December 24th, Christmas Eve, it's on a Sunday, and I want you to take notice. These times are not our normal meeting times for Sunday morning, 9 a.m., 10, 30, 12, noon, hour-long services. All the family will be in here together. The nursery parents will be open only for the first two services, so keep that in mind. And listen, I need your help. Take, take some invite cards from guest services and pass those out to your friends. Make sure you share those videos that you see on social media and help us to get the word out. We would love to see hundreds of people here at Radiant Church hearing the good news of the gospel this Christmas. Well, you guys, I want to give you an exciting update. It's an update on our Give Hope 2023 offering. We took this offering up last weekend, and I wanted it to go to all of our ministry partners and help to fill some benevolent needs within our church. And not only did we meet our goal, but we exceeded it. Check it out. We, you, gave all $6,545, but we decided to, guess what, round it up. So we rounded up to $8,000 because we wanted to give more money away. So let me give you a breakdown of how we distributed this money. First of all, we were able to give out 13 gift cards to 13 families who were just in a little bit of a pinch this Christmas season. Some had gotten laid off. There's just a a bit of a season that's a, a troubling season for them. We were able to come alongside them and just give them a little bit of help. And that is a blessing. So thank you for being a blessing, church. And then on top of that, check this out. We were able to give all this to our ministry partners. Blue Water Youth for Christ, we gave them $700 as they make disciples in the Thumb area. We partner with them. Good Samaritan Rescue Mission right here in town went to the youth services there. We gave $1,000 to Life Clinic. They come alongside mothers who find themselves in difficult positions and they advocate for life and they offer all their services for free. Come on, someone. That's amazing. We gave them $1,000. We gave to Sleep in Heavenly Peace, which originally was not on the list, but we threw it in there. And we were able to give them two beds, pay for two beds. We prayed. or We we prayed. We gave to Iglesia Radiente. You got to roll your R. You know what I'm saying? When you say that, do not try to say that without rolling your R. You will be rebuked by me. But listen. (laughs) Iglesia Radiante, and and listen, we gave them $1,000, and we support them monthly anyways. I want you to pray for this church. Here's why. They are looking for a place to meet right now because they currently meet in a hotel, okay? It's not theirs, of course, but there's new management at the the hotel, and the new management does not want them there, so they're kicking them out, and they just have a few weeks to find another location. They don't own their own building yet, but they're doing everything. An amazing job there in Mexico to make disciples. So please, would you pray for Pastor Edgar and for that church for them to find a building that they can call their own, that they can begin to meet. And then we support Christ for India, and we gave them $1,200 for 10 bikes. And I'm not talking about the weekend warrior type of bike. You know what I'm talking about? Like a mountain bike. I'm talking about a bike for transportation. When you buy a bike for a pastor, that's like a Mercedes Benz. Well, maybe not a Mercedes Benz. It's like a Chevy Equinox, okay? And so, listen, this is the way that pastors get around there. And listen, we bought 10 bikes for 10 pastors, and that makes a huge difference for, and in their ministry. So I'm going to just say thank you for your generosity. And I want you to know that when you give here to Radiant Church, you're not giving just so the lights can be on and so we can have heat. Although I thank you for that because we need those things, right? You're giving, listen, to bless so many people in the house here as we do ministry here, as lives are being changed Here, listen, and then it goes out into our community and then all over the world. Listen, you can see our ministry partners there. We partner with them every month. So listen, this is not a one-time thing. We're always giving out here at Radiant Church because it is our desire to be a generous church. And I want to just challenge you. Can I just be real? If you're not giving, come on, jump on board. Why wouldn't you be a part of what the Lord is doing, okay? Be a generous, okay? You cannot be a stingy Christian. It's just not, it doesn't work that way, okay? Our God gave us everything in his son, amen? And therefore, we can live with open hands. You can do this. Some of you just need to get a... You need to get a, a budget, but once you get a budget, then you can tithe, okay? You just need to handle your budget. That's a different series I'll keep going, okay? All right. Well, listen, guys, we're so excited for what the Lord is doing in and through Radiant Church. Today is part number six. We have one more part in our series, Jesus and the End Times. And in this season, as we celebrate Advent, I want you to know that Advent not only is meant to be a remembrance and a reflection upon Jesus's first coming, did you know that Advent is also supposed to stir our hearts for Jesus's second coming? And so this series is very appropriate. And if you've missed any of this series, I'd love for you to visit our YouTube page, become a subscriber and catch up and never miss a message here at Radiant Church. If you're new, because we have new visitors every week, Let me just spend a few moments and give you a little bit of context. The Bible, or the Word of God, teaches, listen, that the world as we know it is coming to an end. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen, of course, right? But the world as we know it is going to come to an end, and Jesus, the Son of God, is going to return on the earth, and he's going to bring with him what? The fullness of his kingdom. It'll be here on earth. Did you know that the hope of every believer is not us On clouds and oversized diapers, playing harps. That is not the hope of every believer. Now, you may laugh at that, but it's true. Many Christians believe that that is what heaven will look like. Like, Pastor Marco, I don't want to wear an oversized diaper and play a harp in heaven. And I would like, I don't want you to do that either, bro. Listen. (laughs) And you won't. You'll be here in a renewed heavens and new earth. Jesus is coming to set up shop here on the earth. He'll wipe every tear away. He will eradicate sin and death. Death will be no more. Amen? Awesome. What a hope we have in Jesus Christ. This is, church, listen, the hope for humanity. This is the hope for humanity. Now, Jesus never told us a time. He didn't tell us like, hey, listen, I want you to set your calendars to April, you know, whatever it is, 2028, and I'm going to show up then. So just so you know, you're ready. No, he gives us signs. And signs are really these events that are to come to pass, to come to fruition, and, and to make us ready so that we would be a church and a bride ready for Jesus to come back. One of the things that Jesus speaks about, though, uh, in the end times is what many refer to as the rapture. You may have heard of it. Maybe you haven't. The rapture. Now, the rapture never shows up in the Bible, just so you know that. That word never shows up in the Bible. Just like the word Trinity never shows up in the Bible as well. Now, Trinity is a concept that we find in the Bible, and in the same way, the rapture is a concept that we find in the New Testament. It has its origins in a Latin term, and that Latin term simply means uh, uh, catching away or to to be snatched or to be caught up. And it speaks of this idea that when Jesus comes back, believers are going to be caught up with him. We're gonna meet him in the air. And I wanna talk about that Today. And if maybe you're here and you're a bit new and you're like, I don't understand any of this. First of all, we love you. We're glad you're here. This is awesome. Okay. And I will do my best to explain all of this along the way. I promise you. With that in mind, listen, let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts for God's word. Father in heaven, we love you and we celebrate the work you're doing through our church and through our giving. Father, continue to do so, Lord continue to open our hearts to you, God. We pray that you would unlock deaf ears, that you would open blind eyes, God, that you would soften some of our hearts that have been hardened due to circumstances. And God, we know that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And therefore, in order for anyone to believe, we need a supernatural work of the Spirit. So, Spirit, come and have your way in our lives and in our hearts today, and I pray that men, women, and children would be drawn to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, this morning, I want to start differently. I want to tell a story. Now, just so you know, it's a made-up story, and just so you know, it's a light-hearted story, so keep that in mind. First service was, like, a mixed reactions, just telling you, but. There was a man who went for a walk, and he found himself on a bridge in his hometown uh, uh, above a river. And as he got there, he noticed another man. And this other man looked like he was going to jump. And so he was a bit alarmed, and he ran over to the other man. And he wanted to save his life. And he said, sir, why would you end your life right here and right now? The man replied, I have nothing to live for. The visitor said, well, let me ask you some questions. Do you believe in God? The man said, yes, I do. The first man said, what a coincidence. So do I. Are you a Muslim? Are you Jewish? Are you a Christian? He said, I'm a Christian. What a coincidence. So am I. Okay." Are you Protestant or are you Catholic, the first man asked. The other man said, I'm a Protestant. What a coincidence. So am I. Are you Anglican, Lutheran, or Baptist? The man said, I'm a Baptist. The first man said, wow, what a coincidence, dude. So am I. Are you Southern Baptist or an independent Baptist? He said, I'm a Southern Baptist. The first man said, no way. What a coincidence. So am I. Then he said, are you premillennial or amillennial? He said, I'm premillennial. The man said, get out of town. What a coincidence. So am I. Wow. Finally, he asked, are you pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, or post-tribulation rapture? The man said, I'm mid-tribulation rapture. Now, at that point, the, the would-be helper walked over to the man, pushed him off the bridge, and said, die, you heretic. <laughs> oh, someone says, come on. We can laugh. Now, listen. I tell this joke, My wife said it was okay, so it's going to be fine. (laughs) You can deal with it. I tell this joke because throughout church history, listen, there have been many, many disagreements when it comes to our eschatology, to what we believe about the end times, specifically when it comes to the rapture, if and when it will happen, okay? And sometimes these have become very, very heated disagreements. And sometimes people in the body of Christ, they divide, they, they, they choose their sides, and they divide, and they spit vitriol at other Christians who don't believe like they believe. And I want to just be clear this morning, in Christian theology, there are several different views when it comes to the rapture or the end times. And I also want to be clear, we can differ on these views, and it doesn't make us a heretic. Okay? It doesn't mean we have to divide or fight or argue, okay? That's what I want to talk about this morning is the rapture. When I first began to learn about the rapture, I was a brand new Christian. I literally had been following Jesus for about, I don't know, 3 or 4 months and there was a woman who was kind of like a mother-type figure in my life, and she introduced me to the Left Behind movie with Kirk Cameron. You can see it behind me. Anybody remember that movie? Anybody? Raise your hand. Any Kirk Cameron, Left Behind? Speaking of Kirk Cameron, anybody remember Growing Pains? Come on. Back before TV sucked, right? I mean, those were the good times, right? And so I was introduced to Left Behind, the movie, and I was enthralled. I was like pretty blown away, and... But the movie actually is not sort of an original in, its, in itself. The movie comes from a book series written by um, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And these were actually first published in, in the year 1995. Anyone remember the Left Behind series, the books, all the books, right? I think I made it through book number one. And then book number two, I got through half of it. And I was like, I think I'm done. That was about it, and I've not read any others before. Now, after that time, there were all kinds of, like, sequels and and other versions of Left Behind, of course, right? And then my man, Nicolas Cage, stepped onto the scene, right? And he had a Left Behind movie. Maybe you've seen that movie itself. And there are more Left Behind movies that you can watch if you have not yet seen them. I think this was a a Oscar, you know, performance. I'm I'm joking, actually. But... (laughs) But that came out in 2014, okay? We know that this is sort of the history when it comes to the rapture. And I, I'm going to get specific in a few moments. I wanted to give you my history just a bit, where I'm coming from, where, where I came from rather, okay? Now, it's not where I'm at currently, but it's where I came from. In a nutshell, I call it left-behind theology or Technically, it's called pre tribulation, premillennialism, dispensationalism. So easy to remember all that, right? Now, what it does and what it teaches is it teaches that the second coming of Jesus will be divided into two parts. And here's a graph, or a graphic rather, from Wayne Grudem, his systematic theology. He offers the many views in his book. If you've never Pick that up. You might want to invest in that. It's only like 900 pages, but it's a great, resources, great resource. And in pre-tribulation, pre-millennialism, it teaches that Christ will come, and the believers will go up, the snatching away, of course. And then there will be a seven-year period. See that T? That's tribulation. And then Jesus is going to come back again, and that will be public. So there's going to be a secret rapture, and then there's going to be a public coming, and then the millennium, which is a thousand-year period, where we will reign with Christ, and then so forth so on. I don't want to get into the weeds because we don't have much time. But the question is, does the Bible teach that Jesus' return is divided into two parts? That's what I want to know. That's what you should want to know. And does the Bible teach that there is a secret rapture? A secret rapture. Now, listen, I just want to present my cards from the get-go. I lean on no, it doesn't. I'll prove it through scripture. And um, here's what I really wanna do. I really just want to, this morning, and if you're watching online, thank you. I just wanna like have us look at the Bible. What does the Bible say? Like, I don't care about Nicolas Cage or Kirk Cameron or Jack Hibbs or John MacArthur or Jimmy Evans. Listen, those those guys are all godly men. Grateful for them. Whoever YouTube subscriber that you watch, because everybody has their YouTube guy, I just want to say, what does the Bible say, though, okay? Not, not the Reformed pastor, not, again, John MacArthur. What does the Bible actually teach, though? And I want to just say this as well from the get-go. I hope that I'm wrong. <laughs> I hope that I'm wrong, right? In, in pre-tribulation, pre-millennialism, it teaches that we will not have to go through a tribulation period. And I'm going to teach the opposite today, and I hope I'm wrong, okay? I hope I'm wrong. The idea is I hope that we can celebrate, we can rejoice in heaven, we can breathe a sigh of relief, and I'm going to high-five some of you all in heaven, and we're going to be like, man, it looks like hell down there. Oh, wow, whoa. Dude, I'm so glad I'm not down there either. Yeah, me too. Wow, we can rejoice and we can celebrate. And that's gonna be really, really great. But I think here's one thing that we can all be on the same page. I think we can all agree with this statement. It's this, that we can pray for a pre-tribulation rapture, but I think we should prepare for a post-tribulation rapture. Ooh, that is good. I felt like that was good too, Kenzie, in my preparation. Thank you. I felt like that was good, thank you right? And I, I wanna, here's, why, here's why I say these things. I say these things, and I'm going to build my case, because suffering is something that's never been foreign to Christians. And number two, a pre-trip rapture is really, guess what? It's an American thing. It's a Western thing. Why do we think we're so special that we don't have to go through anything difficult? Why is that? Why do we think we're the special ones, right? Right? And again, I want you to be prepared. And what I don't want, what I don't want is for us to begin to go through tribulation and then Christians walk away, and specifically this church, and I don't want them to get to a place where they say, why didn't my pastor ever say something to me? We learned this in the Bible. We learned this at church. Pastor Michael never said this. He didn't. Why not? What the heck? And many people in that day, I believe, will walk away from their faith because they will believe that they're entitled not to go through tribulation. And so listen, I want to pray for pre-trib, but I want to prepare the body and prepare myself for a post-tribulation rapture. And that's what we will do today. So here's what I want to do, church. I want to just bring us all on the same page. And I want to begin this way. There are three things that pretty much every Christian believes when it comes to the end times and our eschatology. Number one, most Christians believe there will be a tribulation. Most Christians believe there will be a tribulation, and that tribulation will be seven years, according to Daniel, according to other places in scripture. Now, some people say that the seven years is called the tribulation, and the last three and a half years is called the great tribulation. Now, other theologians do not make that distinction. Other Bible teachers do not. I don't think we need to fight about it, okay? I think overall, pretty much every Christian believes there will be a tribulation. Number two, there will be a second coming of Jesus Christ. We can all be on the same page there. Jesus himself in the gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse three said, he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he says, I will come back to get you. So every Christian for the most part, believes, you should anyways, that Jesus is returning. Number three, there will be a rapture, or if you don't like that word, we can think of it as a catching up of believers, okay? Believers both alive and dead will be caught up in the air to what? To meet Jesus. But the question is, when will this happen? The question is this, is Jesus' return really divided up into two pieces? Is there really a secret rapture where no one knows about it and all that is left over is our clothes and our shoes and all these cars are crashing into each other like the Left Behind movie teaches? Is that really what will happen? Well, we're not, we don't know, but I wanna wanna sort of give my argument for the opposite view today. Now, when it comes to when this rapture will happen, there are three views, main views, as to when the rapture will begin. Let me give those to you quickly. Number one, pre-tribulation. This what? This means that the church, some believe that the church will not go through the tribulation period at all. They will be taken up secretly, and then Jesus will come back after the tribulation. This is the most popular view in America, okay? Number two, the second view is a mid-tribulation rapture. And I want to just say, this is the most unpopular view, okay? Not as many people believe this. And finally, number three, a post-tribulation rapture. Now, check this out, church. This is the longest-held view in church history. Can I just tell you, all the church fathers all believed in post-tribulation rapture. The early church believed this. The rapture and the second coming are not two events, but they believe they're actually one in the same. And I want to talk to you about that today. So here's what we're going to do now, church. We're going to open our Bibles, and we're going to turn to four very, very, very popular passages of Scripture that speak of the rapture and the coming of Jesus, okay? If you don't have a smartphone, write these down somehow, okay? Uh, Borrow a friend's pen. Do whatever you have to do. I'll go through these verses quickly, and you're going to want to go back and study them. And here's what all I want to do, church, is just, let's just look at the Bible. Not Jack Hibbs, not MacArthur, not any of the uh, dispensational guys. Let's just, what does the Bible say? Like, let's not talk about Kirk Cameron or Nicolas Cage. What does the Bible say, okay? Matthew 24, verse 29 through 31. Here's what it says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Notice what's underlined. Jesus is the one speaking here. Let's read that again just in case you're kind of trying to understand what it's saying. Immediately after the tribulation or the distress of those days. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see, right, at that point, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And I just, all I want to do is point to the Bible, Jesus' words here, after the tribulation of those days. This speaks of his coming not before the tribulation, but Jesus seems to be very explicit here, after the tribulation of those days. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 14 through 17. Some of you are getting a little triggered right now because you grew up on a dispensational theology, and I'm going to uh, dismember that. <laughs> but keep an open heart and don't throw tomatoes or rocks at me, okay? First Thessalonians 4:14 4, through 17. Paul says this: For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, God, will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep, those who are dead, right? For this we are declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed, we're not going to come before those who are dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and notice what, what, what takes place here, with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have passed away, but they were Christians, they're going to come out of their graves. Then we who are alive, believers who are still alive, who are left, here it is, will be caught up. There it is, this idea of rapture. We'll be caught up together with them, with angels, with with Jesus, with those who have passed away, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now here's what I want to say about this passage of scripture. This is the number one passage of scripture, I believe, that is used for a pre-trib rapture. But when I look at these verses, again, just call me crazy. This doesn't sound like anything but, this doesn't sound like a private coming or a secret coming. I mean, did you listen to the words Paul used, cry command, voice of an archangel, Sound of the trumpet. Church, this sounds very public and very loud to me. Not like a secret, you know, nobody knows about it. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 3. Paul again. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, to him. There's that idea of rapture. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken and or in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit, or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one, I love this, let no one deceive you in any way. I believe that Christians in the last days, many, many Christians will be deceived by false doctrines that walk away from their faith because of deception. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come. What day? The day of the Lord. The day of his return will not come unless, this is the key, church, the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Who is the man of lawlessness, church? He's the Antichrist, right? The Antichrist, not Satan himself. Satan is a dragon, okay? The man of lawlessness is the Antichrist, the son of destruction or the son of perdition, okay? Okay? Now, Paul writes here that his second coming, or his that word is parousia, is in in the Greek. That's what many scholars refer to. Jesus' parousia, of us being gathered together with him in the rapture. Listen, that they're just one event. They're they're not two. They're not separate, but they're they're one event. Paul is explicit here, again, that the day of the Lord will not happen until what? Until the, the Antichrist is revealed, until the rebellion happens. And to me... I mean, again, call me crazy, but I'm just reading the Bible as it is, to me, that would say that's not going to be before the tribulation happens. That's somewhere down the line. I mean, maybe we could argue for mid-trib, but I'm not sure on this text, I don't think we can argue for pre-trib on that text at all. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54, last section of Scripture. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which, by the way, Paul uses that metaphor for what? For dying, for uh, uh, for death. But we shall all be changed, believers, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the same that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Yes. Okay. One more time. When Jesus comes, we see it again. There will be a trumpet blast. Those who have died in Christ will again be raised up. They will meet Jesus. Those who are left who are still alive, and it could be our generation, which is really exciting to think about that. We will meet Jesus in the air, and we will be transformed. The imperishable, right? We will the, 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 the mortal will put on immortality. We will have glorified bodies. And I believe that we're going to meet him in the air, and he's going to come to the earth. We're just meeting him halfway. It's one and the same. It's, there's not a, another event. So let me just point out three things for all of you. Today, in case some of you are triggered, okay. Number one, there's no indication from these four passages that the rapture will take place before the tribulation. And you're like, yeah, but my my good buddy he taught me that. And I'm not talking about your good buddy. I'm not talking about John MacArthur. I'm not talking about Jack Hibbs or Jimmy Evans. Great men of God. Great men of God. Love those guys. Okay. I'm just talking about what does the Bible say. And and I want to be bold. There's no indication from these four passages that the rapture will take place before the tribulation. Number two, check this out. Prior to the last 150 years, no one in church history taught a pre-tribulation rapture. What does that mean? That means that this is a very, very new doctrine. What does that mean? Well, that's a red flag for me. Like, if someone just says, hey, I got a new revelation, here's a new doctrine, I'm like, you know, there's 2,000 years of church history here. I don't know if I want to add anything to this And so listen, prior to the 19th century, no one taught, no one believed a pre-trib rapture. I want to just give you the origins of this idea of a pre-tribulation rapture. Did you know that this theory originated from, here it is, a 15-year-old girl who had a vision, and in her vision, she sensed or saw that we weren't supposed to go through a tribulation period, She then shared it with the church, and she shared it with a minister by the name of Edward Irving. And this girl's name was Margaret McDonald. She shared it with a minister named Edward Irving, who went on to proclaim it. It was then later adopted by who? By John Nelson Darby, the father of dispensationalism, and then it was popularized by the release of the C.I. Schofield Study Bible. And then from there on, it just kind of spread like wildfire into Western culture, into America. But I want you to see, did you catch that, church? This is originally from a 15-year-old girl's vision. Now, full disclosure, I'm 100% charismatic. Believe in all the gifts, so I'm down, okay? Love the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe they're all in operation, including what? Including visions, including dreams, including prophecy, and prophetic words. I am all here for it. However, when it comes to building doctrine, church, we cannot put all of our eggs in that basket, the vision basket. What do we put all of our weight on? The word of God. So if you have a revelation, you're like, Pastor Marco, I think God gave me a revelation. Is it supposed to be this? And it doesn't match the word of God. I'm going to say you're wrong. That's what I'm going to tell you. And I don't care if you don't like it. I'm just going to say you're wrong. Because why? Because the scripture doesn't teach what you just said. So listen, I love visions. I love dreams. But that should just kind of, I mean, that should kind of take us aback a little bit. Like, what? For some of you, you're like, are you serious? I didn't know that. And that's why I'm here. I want to prepare the bride for just in case there's a post-trib, right, or, or there's a mid or somewhere after the three and a half years, which I think that's a really good shot, we'll be prepared and we won't be entitled to, to, to believe that we don't have to go through suffering, okay? And then finally, number three, the pre-tribulation rapture is not taught anywhere in the world except America's doctrine. That, again, that's a little alarming for me. Why is it only taught in America? Here's why I think it's only taught in America, because it fits our comfort-seeking, snowflake Christianity mindset. That we will not have to suffer, that we're not going to have to go through anything. And some of you, I know this is kind of hard for some of you. I feel like this is a bit quieter than first service. I'm a little scared. So Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me. But listen, I think this fits our comfort-seeking mindsets. We're like, hey, we're not gonna, I'm not going to go through all that. and You know what I mean? But, but it's not taught anywhere else, you guys. Now, for some of you here, you're like, okay, okay. I'm starting to see what you're talking about, Pastor, but... Okay, wait a second, wait a minute. What do we do with Revelation chapter 3, verse 10? Got you. Well, let's look at Revelation 3, verse 10, because I think it makes a good argument for, for pre-trib. Revelation 3, 10. Since you have kept my command, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus, you've kept my command. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Boom, right there, Pastor Marco done deal, pre-trip rapture, we're out. It says it right there. Maybe. Probably not. What's the best way that we can interpret Scripture? Through Scripture. Come on, somebody. That's right. The best way for you to interpret Scripture is not through John MacArthur. It's through Scripture. Now, here's what we want to do. I want to address two things. I'm going to address the context. First of all, we need to acknowledge that this was first, 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 first written Directly to who? To the church in Philadelphia. This was first for them, which was one of the seven churches Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation. So we got to like, we got to bring it into some context here, folks. Second, we need to ask ourselves this question. What does the phrase keep from mean? Does it mean to take out? Is Jesus telling the church in Philadelphia that they will not have to undergo a tribulation period? Is that what he's saying to them? Well, to answer that question, remember, the best way to interpret scripture is through scripture. So, the way that we're going to learn from this is we're going to take that phrase. Where does that phrase show up? The exact same Greek phrase. It shows up in John chapter 17, verse number 15. And this is a prayer. Listen, this is a prayer that Jesus is praying for who? His disciples. Let's look at it. Jesus is speaking. I do not ask you, Father, and he's praying to his heavenly Father, that you take them out of the world. I don't know. That kind of preaches loudly to me there. But that you what? Keep them. That you keep them from the evil one. Listen, Jesus is not just speaking here. Keep that verse up. He's not just speaking here of his disciples there in that moment. But How do we know that context? A few verses later, Jesus says, listen, I'm not just praying for these guys. I'm praying for everyone else who would come to believe in me, for all of us. He says, listen, Father, I'm not really praying that you'd get them out of the world. What I really want is that you keep them from the evil one. This is not a promise of a removal from physical presence of tribulation as much as it is a promise, listen, of preservation and deliverance in and through tribulation. Yeah, I need that amen a little louder next time because it was quiet on that one. Woo! Thank you. I think that was Pastor Marcus now let's think about this i know i know i'm disarming some of you and i'm triggering some of you because you're like man (laughs) my left behind the eye it's crumbling (laughs) oh kirk cameron (laughs) but think about it listen think about it think about it please 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 think about it church let me ask you a question isn't god more than able to keep us from the evil one in the midst of turmoil isn't he isn't he capable of it? can He do that he can do that. He's strong enough, big enough, almighty enough. He can do it. I'm not saying that none of us are going to die. I'm not saying that none of us are going to suffer. I think some of us are going to die. We are going to suffer. We are going to perhaps be beheaded. But listen, he can keep us. He's big enough. Noah, just look at Noah in the Old Testament. Noah, was Noah removed from his situation and circumstance? No, he wasn't. He was preserved. He got onto a boat, of course, but he was preserved. God didn't say, okay, I'm going to take you up. And then when I just kind of clean this whole mess up, I'll send you back down. No, he just says, listen, I want you to build a boat in faith. I want you to get your family members and the animals and join in on the boat. And there I will preserve your life. What about Israel? Again, in the plagues in the Old Testament, did God say, okay, Israel, you don't have to worry about these plagues. No, he kept them there and they had to endure the plagues while God brought justice and judgment on the gods of Egypt. Woo, is right. Now, some of you are asking, okay, fair enough, maybe. Maybe you're right, Pastor. What about 1 Thessalonians 5, 9? I could go, I could go more, but I only have so much time. First Thessalonians 5, 9, what does it say? Paul says this, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is, Pastor Marco. God did not, ah, I'm not going to have to go through wrath. Context, context, context. When you read the Bible, here's what you have to ask yourself. What does Paul mean when he talks about this idea of wrath here? What is he talking about? What wrath? What kind of wrath? Listen, Paul is not saying that we cannot be present when God is pouring out his wrath onto mankind. He's not saying that. Rather, what Paul's saying is this it's a bigger picture. Paul is saying that, listen, as believers, our end, our destiny is not the same as unbelievers. That their destiny, their end is hell. Ours is what? Is salvation. Our, listen, our destiny is eternal life with God. But theirs is what? Is judgment. That's all he's saying. He's saying, listen, as believers, God did not appoint you to hell. He didn't appoint you to wrath. Why? How do we know that? Who took the wrath in our place? Jesus took the wrath of God in our place, the cross, the atonement. He bled so that we wouldn't have to bleed. So Paul's simply making the point that we're appointed to salvation, not hell. We're appointed to salvation, not judgment. Those who are, however, who do not repent, eventually they will incur the wrath and the judgment of God, okay? That's what he's saying there. A book that I recently just finished reading it's called Not Afraid. I'm Not Afraid of the Antichrist. It's by Dr. Michael Brown, Dr. Craig Keener. Dr. Michael Brown is um, an expert in Semitic languages, the Old Testament. Dr. Craig Keener is a brilliant man when it comes to the, the New Testament. Dr. Michael Brown writes this He says, Tribulation is the normal experience of believers in this age. Not experiencing affliction is a blessed exception that we should enjoy when we have it, but we should not count on it as if it were our right in Christ. We should always be ready to suffer for Christ and always be ready for Christ's return. As I said before, church, listen, we can pray for a pre-trib rapture. I'm fine with that, but let's, we can pray, but let's prepare for a post-tribulation rapture. Let's prepare our hearts, our minds today Did you know this, that suffering has a way of weeding out compromising Christians? Suffering has a way of weeding out compromising Christians to the point that those who remain Christians at the end are typically fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. The church in America probably could use some more suffering. I'm sorry to say that because it needs some more cleansing. And that's when it will grow, that's when it will thrive. All right, so what does this all mean, okay? Here's what it means. We should neither ignore the prospect of suffering, okay, we shouldn't ignore it, nor should we become doomsday preppers, okay? If we act in either way, we act as if our lives in this world are all we have to live for. But Jesus calls us to live for something higher, something bigger, something better. So that what? So that we can invest our lives, listen, in serving people in love and reaching them with what? With the transforming truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're investing our lives, right? We're, we're not just saying, you know, I'm not going to suffer. And we're also not going to be doomsday preppers. You know what? I got 10 shotguns. I've got enough food here, pastor, for the next three years here, right, just in case it all goes down. Listen, I'm okay with you being wise. I'm okay with all that stuff, all right, in case it just goes south really quick. Hey, that's cool. But just don't put all of your hope in that. I love what Jonathan, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn has once said. He said, we are not survivalists. We are revivalists. And I could not agree anymore. Our hope is not simply in trying to preserve our lives here. That's not our hope, okay? Our hope, rather, is Jesus' glorious appearing. And therefore, we should be ready to live and to die for Jesus. Both. A reluctant clap, but a clap. So let me ask this, and as we wrap up, are you prepared for his glorious appearing? And listen, I'm not asking you this as a scare tactic. I'm not into that, okay? This is not a scare tactic. I'm just asking you this because (laughs) I want you to be ready. I just want you to be ready. And I know some of you are in here today. I'm gonna guess many of you are Christians. Some of you are not, and and, and maybe you're, you're saying, you know, Hey, Marco, it sounds awesome. I don't really know those Bible verses that you talked about, um, but I want to get my life right with Jesus. And I would say, that's awesome. Wow, praise God for that. Some of you are here and you're also thinking this, man, you know, life with God sounds amazing, but that's not, that can't be me. How could that be me? I mean, Pastor Marco, if you looked at my life, it's dysfunctional, it's a wreck. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes and honestly, I've heard a lot of people, and I'm not proud of it, but it just is what it is. And there's no way God would accept me. There's no way that I could behave good enough for God. I, I, just, I just know I won't be able to do it. Can I just tell you, that's what most people believe about the afterlife. Most people believe, listen, that if my good deeds, I'll my bad deeds, then I'll go up while others go down. But I wanna just tell you the truth this morning. And for those of you who are watching online, the truth of the matter this morning is that none of us are good enough. None of us can behave our way into heaven. In fact, the Bible is very clear about that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says this: Paul says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. That means what? It means we need a savior. We need a savior. And so listen. No one is good enough, no one is well behaved enough to make it into heaven. But guess what? The good news is this, there is one who was and is, and it's Jesus, the son of God. And Jesus, listen, he obeyed the law perfectly. He followed his father's commandments perfectly. He lived a life that we could not live. And then Jesus took the death that we deserved. It was death on the cross. Listen, today, you're never gonna perform your way into heaven. So just forget about that. What is required of you is one thing. It's faith. Well, two things, technically, repentance as well. But faith. And what is faith? Faith means trust. When you stop trusting in your own work, in your own good behavior, in your own morality, listen, church, you begin to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today, listen, I want to challenge you. I want you to, whether it's under your breath, whether it's with me or an elder or whoever it's with in the next few days or the next few minutes, I want you to, to take a step of faith with me and to say, that's me, Pastor, that's me. That's, I, I want that. And you'll pray and you'll ask God for forgiveness and you'll ask God to give you a new life. And you'll ask God that, you'll tell him that you want to be his disciple and listen, Your life will be changed from this point on. It doesn't mean it'll be perfect. It doesn't mean it'll be without hurt or without difficulties or without suffering, but you will now go through them with Jesus. And no matter what happens here on the earth in the end times, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because your eternity is secure in Jesus. Come on, somebody, that's good news. That's the good news of the gospel this morning. It's your eternity is secure. Come on, let's pray right now. Every person in here, let's posture ourselves in prayer. Some of you are here and you need to take that step. Come on, there's some young people in here that need to make a decision. You've been playing on the fence far too long. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And right now, God, our hearts are surrendered and we thank you, God. We thank you for Jesus who makes a way where there is no way. We thank you that we are sinners and yet there is one who is without sin and his name is Jesus. He is the sinless son of God. He came and lived a life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserved, death on a cross. Three days later, he was risen to life. He now sits at the right hand of the Father and all authority on heaven, on earth, has been given to him. And one day, Jesus says, he will come back for his bride. And God, we need Jesus today. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our rebellion. Forgive us of turning our backs on you. God, you've been chasing us down all this time. We need forgiveness, God, and we want to be your disciple. Give us clean hands. Give us a pure heart, God. Make my life new, Lord. Right now, I want to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's clap our hands for Jesus this morning.